0: This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballerman, bridging the worlds of suits and t shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now.
1: Hi, this is Mike Ballerman. And this is the London FinTech Podcast, episode 198. Brought to you in association with Smart and the EnlistedBoard.com. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Adam Levinsky co-founder of OTB Ventures, the Central and Eastern European VCs, to talk about using CEE, i.e. Central and Eastern Europe, as part of a fintech strategy. As last time's intro for the episode on money in the 21st century was super long, I shall try and keep this one short. What are the benefits of using CEE? What are the challenges? What is the future? There. I think that was short, but perhaps too short, as I now need to add that this was recorded a few weeks before the recent crisis in Ukraine, which makes some of the comments about Ukraine poignant. However, Central and Eastern Europe, for those of you who don't have an atlas, is a very large place, and let's hope it all calms down soon. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. morning, Adam. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Good morning. Pleasure to be with you. As the astute listener may have spotted by me butchering the pronunciation of your name, possibly, that you are based in Poland. Uh, in particular, you're based in Warsaw. It's probably about 30 years since I was in, uh, in in Warsaw. The weather wasn't very good then. It was about Christmas. It was very bleak <laughs> indeed and a bit chilly compared to sort of English standards. But maybe you will sort of answer the question which I'm sure every listener really wants to know, which is what's the weather in Warsaw like? today when we're recording which will be relevant to when they're actually listening to it of course but perhaps more illuminating than uh, what's the weather like in the UK plenty of efforts have been spent by the government i.e taxpayers money to try and distribute tech around the UK and there is a little bit of it, but certainly in fintech, the predominant amount of fintech is in London. Is it the same in in, in Warsaw? Is, is tech something that's sort of in a certain quarter of Warsaw, and there's not a lot elsewhere, or is actually is, is it spread around the country much more? Before we get into the how it's geographically spread around sort of central and eastern Europe, is it actually spread around Poland, or is it all in one one street? It's absolutely
2: spread around Poland, as exactly as you mentioned. It's spread around the sea, it's spread around the region. So even in Poland, it's not only Warsaw, but it's uh, Krakow, it's Wrocław, it's Gdansk. So actually, you know, that's probably something unique about Europe, that the innovation is spread throughout the region, throughout the many, many cities. I think in Europe, you've got over 70 cities where we have at least one unicorn that shows, you know, like how... European ecosystem is very much different than the US.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. Actually, I would never have guessed at seventy. You should have bet me some money uh, about that one. Well, I wouldn't wouldn't have got it that high. And um, uh, as I mentioned once or twice, this centralizing Im- impact of globalism, reinforced by technology does tend to move everything to one place, which is a bit nutty, because then you get terrible traffic problems, you get rents are through the roof and all that. So the more it can be local and distributed, the better. And you didn't mention the weather. <laughs> <laughs> you are on an English podcast here. We have to talk about the weather.
2: The weather is actually today quite nice. So I would say relatively nice as as, as it could be in February. So there is a bit of sunshine and I believe this is the most important thing, you know, as long as there is sunshine, whether it's, you know, like 5 or 15
1: degrees, doesn't really matter. But it's none of this minus 20, minus 30 nonsense in Moscow. No, you know, like
2: I actually like when it's like minus 5 or 10 during winter and there is snow. But I must admit that recently it's rarely, it's, it's rarely and rarely that, that we have such a weather. So, so more like mild more and more like London weather rather than, I would say, very continental one.
1: I see. Good. Right. Okay. Well, having covered the important topics and <laughs> started with the weather, maybe you'd like to tell the listeners how you got where you are today, which is a very small grey room in terms of your career journey. I, I, I suspect when you were young, you wanted to be a fireman or something rather than live in a small grey room. But, <laughs> <laughs> We maybe miss out sort of the short short trousers bit of it, but uh, what's your career been to date to, and, and getting you to OTB Ventures where you co-founded some time ago?
2: Well, actually, you know, during my studies, you know, I, I, I had this idea fixed that I wanna join uh, the consulting company and I find it out there is a company called Boston Consulting Group and try, you know, like to work there. And on one of the conferences in Poland, I I've met a guy who, who's been working there. His name is Jean Baron Mazumian and told him that you know it's my dream. And surprisingly, something like half a, la- a year later, someone called me that his name was Arnold Kole. He was a German consultant from the London office, educated in the US, who apparently you know started a project in Warsaw. and he called me you now like at I think nine or ten pm asking whether I want to help him out. And I said, sure. So he said, okay, so I'm waiting you in half an hour. And that's how my experience started. I was the first uh, local employee hired by BCG office in, in Warsaw. That was 97, so yeah, 25 years ago. And that's how my journey started working for BCG. I spent there three years. In 2000, I left to set up my own startup. So I was the founder and CEO of um, something which can be called probably at that time, one of the first fintechs in the region company was called Expander PL. And it was pretty much a financial intermediary, a financial destination for any personal finance. So we launched it in 2000. And of course, already in 2001, we had to pivot because, you know, like the bubble bursted. So the buzzword of 2001 was click and bricks or crick and mortar. Basically opening physical outlets throughout Poland was the way for us to go because, you know, the concept has been working. People wanted to use it, but we're still afraid to use it online only. So what we've been doing, we've been, you know, basically hiring young alumni uh, from our fifth year uh, students to use our service and help people to use them. So rather than people doing it by themselves, there were young people helping them, sitting in front of the computer, filling out the documents for them. It started to grow really nicely. G Capital took it over, subsequently sold it to Aviva. I moved on. I established another startup. In this capacity, I was a co-founder and a board member as I decided not to move to Ukraine. And we've established a consumer bank in Ukraine. My other co-founder, a friend of mine, a great friend of mine, moved to Ukraine and built a super nice, successful consumer finance business in Ukraine with investors like Goldman Sachs, Warburg Pincus, And yeah, you know, like I spent something like two years traveling back and forth to Kiev. I... Felt in love with Ukraine and Ukrainians. I think it's a great nation, great country, great talent pool—a lot of a lot of very skilled people. And yeah, Platinum Bank, because that's the name how the bank was called, you know, turned out to be a nice success. I stayed in Poland, though. I, I joined UniCredit Group originally as being the head of investment banking for the region. Then I did a corporate startup for UniCredit in wealth management. So this is another interesting experience doing a startup for a corporation and i ended up being a deputy ceo and ceo successor of the largest bank in c called bank pkosa i don't know how what was the current market cap but at the time i was there it was like 12 billion dollar market cap eighteen thousand people a sizable operation but, you know, like uh, being in a bank, I constantly, you know, like uh, was involved in uh, in angel investing. So I've been investing in Europe, in Asia, in different um, startups, in fintech, but not only. And I thought that this is actually something that I want to do for the rest of my life. So I thought that rather than trying to be a banking executive and and keeping my post for the rest of my life, you know, I, I would much rather want to help entrepreneurs to build their businesses. So I started to talk with a friend of mine who's been uh, with Intel Capital for 18 years. And we thought that, you know, merging our experiences, mine on an entrepreneurial side and also on the banking side, and he's being with Intel Capital for 18 years might be a good solution. And that's how we decided to establish OTP five years ago. And yeah, the, the, the fund is growing beautifully ever since.
1: Excellent. Well, you've got a very broad background there. And based on my experience, you're relatively unique among VCs because the, the trend in... London is it's a bit more like sort of kind of an offshoot of consultancy really which is that management consultants like BCG go along and tell other people how to manage their businesses and VCs go along and tell people how to manage startups and the sort of you know the moaning you get over drinks at events or or in the evenings is which is you know ask a founder about their VC quite often there's a bit of a theme that yes he he comes and tells me how to how to grow and create a business but he's never done it himself a kind of thing whereas clearly you've done it a, a number of times which must give you quite a a unique insights and and I agree I like, uh, I like Kiev, actually, which is in the news at the moment. Actually, over here, all the newspapers have started to spell it in a uh, in a different fashion. so Kiev had this sort of more of a southern feel I went in the summer it was sort of plenty of people outdoors. it wasn't quite like Turkey, but it was it was much more like that than a sort of you know a more northern uh, europe place so there's a lot to talk about in terms of the main course, and as you say, you've got plenty of experience in c e region yourself from a whole number of directions. Actually, the notes that uh, I've written down here said that we should start with a history of CE and hot tech. But depending on how you, you parse that phrase, we could spend quite a lot of time on the history of Central and Eastern Europe <laughs> and never get round to the FinTech. So maybe we, we don't worry too much about the history, history of Central and Eastern Europe. Although uh, I suspect that uh, Tech, you mentioned the bubble period, but uh, uh, wasn't so big um, as it wasn't over here, actually. 30 years ago, when Gdansk, that you mentioned, was a, a little bit be- better known for shipyards and, and certain uh, certain trade unions. So, CE and sort of hot technology, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10, 5 years ago. When was the boom, if you sort of draw a chart, when does it suddenly sort of leap up and suddenly actually loads of things are sort of happening? Well, let's just start with Poland and then, and then you can spread out a bit.
2: Actually, you know, like, I would honestly say that Poland is still punching
1: below its weight.
2: So I would very much would like to see Poland being more of an active player on the tech scene. I think it's been just the last 10 years that we really see startups starting to flourish and probably the last five years that we see more and more companies with some international success. The only exception to that is gaming industry. So something probably more of a 15 or 20 years ago the gaming industry in Poland started to develop, and uh, the companies like CD Project, CD Interactive Gaze, Techland, and many other companies emerged to produce games which are being sold all over the world, and, and, and some of the best titles, global titles, are being born in Poland. So that's the gaming industry. If you look at like real tech, deep tech, that's still not as much as I would like to see, However, as mentioned, over the last five years, we've been observing a really dynamic growth. This is partially due to more and more funding. We see a lot of angel investors. We see seed funds, which are more and more open to, to funding and companies. However, Poland has a strange problem. We can call it a mid-size country gap, where the country is big enough for some of the entrepreneurs to want to focus on it and then do not go immediately global, but not big enough to really matter on a global scene. So if, if there is an entrepreneur who wanna say, okay, you know, like I'm gonna first conquer Poland and then make it, you know, like the the top tech brand name in Poland, and then I'm, I might go abroad, that's typically too late because, you know, like the tech is moving so fast that either you, you use Think globally from the get-go, or the competition, the market is gonna outgrow you within a year or two.
1: Yes, I mean similar similar thing you see in the, in the UK actually. I mean the majority of fintechs, of course, over here didn't get to the sufficient scale before someone else started doing it elsewhere, and there's only quite a small number. Now, in terms of CE, you mentioned Ukraine, and there are a, a lot of countries in CE, so we don't have time to go through a, you know, a huge spreadsheet of, of all of them. But just in terms of how it's all been growing and your, your comments of Poland, Poland is a relatively large country. I mean, some of them, like Slovakia, are actually quite small countries in terms of population. I assume that the Baltic states are sort of part of Eastern Europe, and obviously the likes of Estonia is quite well known, and, and I've uh, I even opened a fintech myself in, uh, funnily enough, in, in, in Latvia, back in the day. But anyway, in all these various places, if you were to try and sort of produce a, a handful of, like these are countries which founders elsewhere need to know about, you know these are the sort of top countries, and actually maybe there's 15, or maybe there's 20, or maybe there's 25. But which are the ones which are the sort of the must knows in terms of the tech scene globally or within Europe?
2: Sure. So so let's start. I would say north, and then go east. So some call Finland as a part of sea, some not. However, you know, like Norway is in Sweden, is probably not as exciting in my opinion as Finland. And Finland is really a small country with a lot of tech entrepreneurs doing great stuff, and more and more international funds investing in Finland. Then to the south, you've got Estonia, which is probably the country, or, or, or definitely the country, with the largest number of unicorns per capita. So this is a tiny country, 1.4 million people, with already five or even six unicorns, which, which is amazing. And of course, the first one being Skype, and actually, this first one helped to build the ecosystem fairly early. And many other companies, many other entrepreneurs spun off from Skype or look at Skype and say, hey, I also can do that. So, so Estonia is definitely an amazing tech nation. You sometimes call Israel a tech nation, but, but Estonia is definitely also a tech nation. Then to the south, Lithuania is on the rise. You've got some of the well-known tech companies like Vinted. This is a Lithuanian company, but uh, also I guess soon it's going to be Kevin. as another tech company with a European or pan-European success out of Lithuania. So I think Lithuania is definitely on the rise. Well, the covered Poland, but then going a bit to the east, we've got Ukraine this is i would say a bit separate case because you know like ukraine is not really having a local market in terms of tech consumption but it's having an enormous talent pool potential and the companies which are emerging in us are typically moving to uh, uh, emerging in ukraine are typically moving to us immediately right after so you've got companies like data robot people ai grammarly so these are ukrainian companies which are having typically still R and D in Ukraine, but all the sales and all the marketing in U S growing really dynamically. From Poland south, two countries definitely worth mentioning. The first one, Czech, Czechia, Czech Republic, with an amazing talent in cybersecurity and a great success stories like AVG, Ivest, and many others, and then probably. Worth mentioning the, the, the rise of Slovakia, a very small country, but developing very dynamically tech-wise. And probably, last but not least, Romania and Bulgaria. In Romania, everyone knows UiPath, a global success story, worth roughly $20 billion on the Nasdaq. And in Bulgaria, there is a recently a well-known fintech, Payhawk.
1: They've been on the show recently.
2: Yeah, so so you can see that actually all of those countries already have a few unicorns, well-known unicorns or close to unicorns. I think you know, Peacock, it's not yet or or it's already. I don't know, but you know, like all of those countries are having their own success stories, with drive more and more entrepreneurs to follow them.
1: Well, it's very interesting, and thank you for that really helpful tour of of the various ones. I mean, the. Yeah. <laughs> You said everybody knows the Romanian one, but I hadn't heard of it. (laughs) That's an amazing number of things I haven't haven't heard of. And one interesting thing about starting with that kind of coverage is that sometimes, from a sort of a UK-centric perspective, one hears sort of East Europe mentioned in the context of a resource pool. Oh, there are people out there, and they're quite bright, and they're quite cheap, and all that kind of stuff, and let's use them to, quote, save money, because being a dev in London or renting in London is expensive. So I think it's very important to start with the fact that You know, it's not just like the likes of Bangladesh or something where people just outsource things to, but actually they're pretty vibrant economies with businesses, in the case of the Romanian one, well, 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 larger than anything in London. So, very active scene over there. It's really taken off quite a lot, some notable successes talking about this sort of other way around which is a kind of a resource pool or you know people put their tech teams I mean there have been various fintechs on the show from different parts of the world and they say oh yes we have our tech team in Poland or we have our tech team in Ukraine or something like that so obviously the other side of the coin is not just the unicorns and businesses that start over there uh, are successful in their own economies and then grow but is the sort of if you want to call it I don't know near offshoring which is if I start a, a fintech in London today getting some offices and, and and developers in Mayfair is going to cost me a, a fortune so there may, maybe I use some in Krakow or, or Kiev or something like that so as somebody who sees the market uh, local markets and the international markets how would you see the whole thing operating I mean what kind of price differential is the for example, compared to say London or or America, in terms of if I hire a dev in London and I hire a dev in Krakow or something.
2: So first of all, it's I would say the, uh, the like a much easier access to the talent. So one thing is actually you know like the price, and you are rightly so. I will touch it in a second. But I think these days it's even more important an access to a talent pool because you know like if you if you wanna have a good data scientist and you wanna hire them in London there is you know such a big scarcity of them that it's not only that you need to pay a lot but then you, you, you risk that they're gonna quit the next day just because someone else paid more so I believe the access to this talent is equally important as uh, cost and in terms of cost it has changed uh, fortunately or unfortunately over the last two years so probably before pandemic there was like almost a factor of Three to four. It has narrowed down a bit. So today, the cost of a good IT developer in Poland would be probably like half of the one in uh, in London or the US. And of course, you know, like remote work and and globalization is flattening out. But still, the the difference remain. And you know, like there are some that are not having problems working for companies in different countries being, you know, like on remote contracts. Some still prefer to have an office or some pre- still prefer to have a local team. And for them, this, I would say, offshoring, as you may call it, is is the way to go, especially that they wouldn't really call it offshoring. You know, like, it's more like putting the whole R&D teams on the ground. So we quite frequently see companies deciding to use whether Poland or Romania or Ukraine, as their R&D hub with uh, dozens of, or, or even hundreds of people employed locally.
1: Yes, I think you're quite right to pick me up on this offshoring word. I think I'm seeing that from very much an island perspective. We're the offshore. <laughs> you guys are all just Europe. I mean, you get in the car a uh, Calais and you can drive where you like in Europe. It's very strange for us island people to, to think in that way. So yes, we're offshore and you're all onshore in that way. Uh, however, even if you get in your car and if you've had the 5,000 jabs you need to drive across uh, different countries in Europe these days, some of these countries aren't that close a drive and culturally they may be quite different from Dover and Calais and so it's just the general challenge of having an office overseas and every time I mention that I've I have sort of bad LSD flashbacks to, <laughs> to my time running risk at Climwatts and on the fund management side when we always had a trouble with the Japanese office not with the Japanese they were all, all very nice and paid attention to us but the hygiene uh, the gaijin out there who, who sort of tended to do their own thing and to have people fly over and beat them with sticks or take them for drinks or something like that. So anyway, having a, an office overseas, even if it's uh, you're just sending your own people overseas, ends up being a problem as it was back in the day decades ago. So if I'm a founder in London or anywhere else and I want an office as you say, to put all your R&D hub in, in a place. How on earth do I start going eeny, meeny, miny, moe around your list of countries? Oh, I think Estonia might be nice. Always oh, a bit cold in the winter. Where's the weather good? You know, oh, Ukraine. Oh, yes, there's a bit of a war going. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. How on earth does anybody start by narrowing it down. I mean, it would seem to me it's the kind of thing and probably that may exist in London, where, you know, you'd expect some consultants to be knocking around and they'll charge you a few grand to tell you which is the best country and then to organize it and then to fly over because just in terms of the distant management, Back in the day, pre-technology, 80s, 90s. There was no doubt you had to fly to Japan and see people in the Japan office because otherwise you'd never really interact very well. These days, because everyone can stare at pixels, too many, especially in the tech world, are are convinced that staring at a pixel is the same as actually hanging out and having a proper sort of conversation or dinner with somebody. So this whole challenge of, okay, I'm convinced, I'm going to have my R&D held somewhere else because actually there are better quality people, they're not going to leave every 10 minutes, it is cheaper. But then... Bloody hell! How do I do that? It's quite a big question.
2: You know, like most typically, what we see is that either one of the founders or co-founders are coming from the region and have you know this ease of of moving around the region or 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 know the, the one or the other country. This is, I would say, the it's a very typical way of of how those companies are landing there or sometimes it's just one of the engineers who are hired from the region and then you know like convincing the rest of the team to put the R&D team here so so I can name tons of examples like Sumo Logic, uh, snowflake and others that, that started to open up the R&D scene in, uh, in some of those respective countries yeah interestingly you know like many founders or co-founders originating from this region are making bigger, you know, like success outside of the region. Once, you know, like they really stop to think about the region as their core market and start to think about the global market as their core market, as as we've been talking before, and then flourish, you know, like Klarna might be one of the case, yeah, with with a Polish founder wise or previously called transfer wise with, with estonian founders and for them you know like putting the R and D back in their i would say home countries i would say almost natural but as mentioned doesn't need to be a founder or co-founder we've seen a number of times being one of the engineers just coming from the region and starting you know like to build coming to to their own country back and building the team and start to work originally as a small team remotely and then just building the whole r&d
1: locally yes i think you make a a good point which is that my question was set up with the the wrong premise which is that i'm really not in good shape if i decide to expand let's say the london fintech podcast to having an r&d team of a of a dozen people. And then I get my map out and, and find out where all these countries are that you mention. And, and I pick one that's got good weather. And then I think, OK, I'll recruit 12 people over there on the internet. That's not the, the correct way of going about it. And really, it's a question of having someone who's not just bilingual, but also bicultural. Because again, in the over-simplistic tech world where there's no such thing as culture, we live in this world of neoliberalism. Everyone's just interchangeable. Consumers, you can shuffle them all around the world. This, of course, is not correct in that if you've lived in some country for decades, you will probably be better at understanding the body language, shall we say, in an interviewer in that country. You know, let's say you, I, I swap you to, to London and I move to Poland. We're probably going to be less good at spotting the kind of people we want, just simply because we're not tuned into sort the of body language, let alone the use of language and what is said and what is not said and, and all these kind of things. So, yes, there needs to be some bridging mechanism. And as you say, whether it's a co-founder or whether it's sort of someone key in the, in the tech team who can bridge the two countries seamlessly within the company and make it happen well and my kind of very neoliberal premise which is oh i just look at the country being english i look one that's got a good weather and i sort of hire a dozen people over the internet is probably a, a good way of ensuring to be polite suboptimal outcomes <laughs> okay so moving on to the future i think i've got a good feel for how things have changed in in recent years and and, and much more of a, a rich feel than uh, i'd ever imagined I, I might have of the various successes in the in the various countries a- across the region. How do you see things going in the next five or ten years in this sort of central and eastern European direction, Adam? And, and as you say, direction, actually, I quite like your Finland as being part of central and, and, and east Europe. I think that's definitely sort of imperial overreach there. Finland definitely, well, on my map, unless I'm holding it the wrong way, it definitely looks like it's somewhat north to me. But anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll let you off that one.
2: Well, you know, like, I may not be, objective but I really see this region dynamically changing into more and more of a tech region and this is being driven by the talent as mentioned but if you look at this talent you know, like for a long time there were very few cases, very few examples of international success stories for local entrepreneurs for them to really think and believe that they can make a, a global impact, a global change and as mentioned, you know, like as, as in all of those countries are already international unicorns, this stimulates the imagination and entrepreneurship and more and more entrepreneurs are looking at those companies and saying, you know, like, I know the founder of company X or Y, you know, like he ain't better than than I am, you know, like, I I, I can do the same or I can do even better. And this drives this change and this drives this ambition. And we definitely see, like, in all of those countries throughout the region, however we see that region, it's dynamically changing. But I think it's more of also a global phenomenon. If you look at the innovation, innovation, it's no longer happening in corporations. It's happening in startups by young entrepreneurs, or not, not always young, actually, the age doesn't really matter, but by entrepreneurs who don't want to do that in incorporation, they want to do that on their own, they start to experiment. There is funding available, and I think it's also important, regardless whether you are in Romania, Poland, or, or Germany, or UK, if you have a good idea, if you are a truly good entrepreneur, and you know the tech, you can find the funding and you can make this a global success because, you know, like good tech is global, you know, like there is nothing like a local good tech. If it's good, it's global. If it's not uh, global, it's
1: probably not good. Interesting. Well, it's very heartening to hear this. I mean, I did some business in Warsaw and I think also in Prague and a little bit in in, in Bratislava just after the, the wall came down, as well as having check-in laws for quite some time. So certainly 30 years ago there was quite a, a gap to be closed and in the previous podcast talking about the decline of fiat currency and all that kind of stuff we were talking about the fact that First World War was pretty much the end of the European civilization from a Spengler perspective. The Second World War being a consequence of the First World War. As I recall my forefathers went to war because uh, somebody invaded Poland which obviously was more important than Sudetenland in, in Czech because we didn't go to war over that one. And from that perspective, the Second World War wasn't entirely successful, uh, as although Britain went to war over Poland, Poland actually never sort of uh, uh, got free of. Um we say friends from the east or west and it's had friends from uh, france and napoleon and f- friends from germany and friends from russia until about 1990s so it's very heartening that uh, hopefully now the first world war is finally over and the second world war is, is finally over maybe maybe about to stop the third world war today given uh, what the, we read in the press but i don't believe most of what i read in the press and that central and eastern europe is is regaining its position as uh, uh, at a certain point in time people will stop using the phrase as just countries in Europe, you know, in in the continent of Europe, and as I was saying before, you, you quite rightly picked me up on offshoring, we're in the UK, we're the offshore ones, you guys are just all on the continent, and you can sort of drive from one to another, so I'm very heartened to hear that's happening, and that hopefully living standards are rising as a result of global capital flowing in as well as global talent, and as I said before about localism, it's absolutely nuts to keep trying to stuff more people, as the UK seems to be doing, into a tiny space called London. And Silicon Valley is also falling apart. And, of course, they've uh, legalised shoplifting in San Francisco and other such sort of uh, uh, liberal moves. So it makes much more sense for people actually to be uh, spread around the world and prosperity to spread. So before we wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all the listeners out there, especially those in Central and Eastern Europe, and my brand partners in the podcast, Smart is Transforming Pensions and Retirement Worldwide. Their leading-edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and J.P. Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co. Enlistedboard.com, your guide to entrepreneurial governance and how you can start making your board an engine of growth today. And just to add my first quarter, shout out to the first six listeners that contact me on clarity.fm/. Mike Ballyman slash LFP, which is the free promo code I forgot a couple episodes ago. I'm very happy to give you half a, an hour's mentoring on your startup or your career or FS or whatever it is you want. So, moving on to the dessert course, Adam, you've been a very honest guest in that I sort of tend to tell my guests that the main course is supposed to be the main course and not the company. And it won't entirely surprise you just just to hear that some guests don't exactly manage that 100%, but you've pretty much managed it 100% actually. So maybe it'd be very helpful to tell the listeners a little bit about OTB Ventures. I mean, listeners around the world, so there'll be many listeners in Central Eastern Europe who may not know about you, who need to know about you and uh, who can help uh, directly, as well as what your plans are for the future and what you need to make you even bigger and better than you are at the moment, and uh, yes, and what OTB stands for, because when I first got as part of a million incoming emails, something saying OTB, Central Eastern European, blah, 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 I thought that, oh, must be Österreich or something like that, but uh, it's not.
2: Now, so OTB stands for outside the box, and we really do believe that uh, for entrepreneurs, it's important to think outside the box. We also want to think outside the box. But it's important to, to, to mention that uh, we are here to support the founders, not telling them what to do. So being a founder by myself a few times, being an entrepreneur by myself, I understand what's, I would say, the role of an investor and what's the role of an entrepreneur. And definitely it's not the role of the investor to tell the founder what they should do. It's a question of, of course, it's good to do experience sharing. That's important. It's, it's good to open the channels to give a network, but it's definitely not to tell them what to do. So in a few words, OTB is definitely focused on uh, real tech or one may call it a deep tech. So we invest in the companies which are doing disruptive technology with unique IP intellectual property that scale globally. And uh, we are focusing on um, companies post-product, uh, preferably post-revenues. Investing typically between one to five million U.S. dollars, but we can invest definitely much, much more in the subsequent rounds. And if there is anything you know, I'm looking forward is to have more and more of smart entrepreneurs uh, preferably with some C nexus but not necessarily and great ideas that are looking for for great investors here we are
1: excellent well i think i mentioned uh, on a prior podcast i've forgotten when about having started a fintech myself in london in 1998 and like most of the things i've done in my life it's well, it was right, but way too early. And in 1998, there were next to no VCs in London, amazingly. You know, having said that 30 years ago, there weren't many VCs in Central Eastern Europe. There weren't many in London, actually. There was, there was 3i, and that was pretty much about it. Maybe one or two. And it's something that's really taken off in the last sort of couple of decades, an American model. And it's a very good example. I mean, going back to being in Czech land quite a few times in the, in, in the 90s with my then-in-laws, it was just very clear to me that even if as per the last episode fiat currency and money printing has gone insane in the west right now that in the decades after the uh, after the second world war the lack of capital in eastern europe was a bit like a lack of oil in an engine as you say about VCs and I, I like the way you express it, and you express it from a founder 's perspective you 've seen both sides if you have next to no wall in the engine, that engine isn 't really going to go very efficiently or, or very quickly and VCS are ideally the kind of oil that oils the engine of the economies over there and uh, helps support um, the better businesses grow faster so it 's a great service that you 're doing, and uh, you 've clearly been very successful already and you 're somebody who knows both sides of the fence so any listeners in that part of the world you should be uh, knocking on uh, Adam's door now and asking him for some of his money as well as in his case some of his advice because he knows what it's like to be a founder as opposed to telling people how to found not having founded a fintech himself. So that's been a very interesting tour d'horizon of um, the marketplace. I've certainly learned a lot and I know that the listeners have and I wish you and Central Eastern Europe in particular every success in the future
2: thank you thank you so much it's been a pleasure to talk to you thanks for listening if you are in need
1: of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional FS and FinTech or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today contact me at mike at com. if you just need one-off advice in these areas via Clarity.fm slash Mike Balliman
0: We could sit in a bender all day, watching the firelight dance, watching the firelight dance. We could walk in the mountains before dawn, watching a happy moon ride, watching a happy moon ride. Come away from the city, but with the tarmac so dead and the people so sad. Come away from the city, but with the faces so great. Watch the firelight light, dance with me, watch the firelight light, dance with me. Watch the firelight light, dance with me, watch the firelight light, dance with me. Watch the firelight light, dance with me, watch the firelight light, dance with me. Watch the fire dance with me, watch the fire light.